listening to Mike Staffo podcast. I'm Mark Gubazal talking baseball and memorabilia. As the All-Star game moves along, Mark Gubazal, Kansas City, comes into pitch. And Vince Coleman leads off of the National League. The National League without a base runner. Nine up and nine down. And now Gubazal, who's won 12 for the Royals. This is low to Coleman, ball two. Mark Gubazal, what's going on, my friend? Hey, Michael, what's going on? Thanks for calling in. You got it, anytime. First things first. In the late 80s, Kenner Toy Company came out with a starting line of figures. Do you have one prominently displayed in your house right now? You, you know what? I do. Yes, I do. Oh, do you? I love that answer because yeah. sometimes people tell me they don't, and I know they're lying. Where's yours displayed? Hey, right in my office with a bunch of other uh, pretty cool uh, sports memorabilia. What other memorabilia you have in there? Oh, I, I range from I got a, a Manny Pacquiao signed boxing glove. I got a Muhammad Ali, uh, Sylvester Stallone signed boxing glove to a Roger Clemens. Ken Griffey Jr. jerseys to uh, Will Chamberlain, uh, Tom Brady. The first one I ever got, though, was uh, Jim Palmer because we had the same baseball agent. That was way back in 1983. Got a really cool personalized uh, Joe DiMaggio signed baseball, Mickey Mantle. I got I got a guitar signed by the members of Pink Floyd. So I got just about everything you can imagine in here. I'm a total geek when it comes to collecting stuff from Got a Roger Staubach signed helmet, Brett Favre, uh, Dan Marino, Cal Ripken Jr. signed oh. bad. You name it, I got it. LeBron James, Jerry West oh, signed so, sneakers. So you're like a legit collector. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's, I, you know that's what it awesome. is? I just do it because I just want to – It's just for me, it's a good conversation piece when anybody comes by. <laughs> well, yeah, forget about the World Series ring and your years in the, ba- in the league. You just, you'll show them some memorabilia. They probably want to talk about your career, though. <laughs> Yeah, no, I'd rather talk about all the cool stuff I was able and, and all the, like, 99.9% of them, the stuff I got was, like, people I ran into. I, I used to love it in baseball when they had the old-timer games. And, you know, I got stuff from, like, Willie Mays, Lou Brock. All these guys would come to those old-timer games. And I, I figured, you know what, worst-case scenario, just say no. But, you know, I get Frank Robinson signed a baseball. And, you know, I got all these cool things over the years that I figured, why not, you know, at some point, you know, initially I didn't do it, but at some point I said, you know what, this is pretty cool to be able to have and pass it on to my, my son and even my daughters down the road because it's something that, you know, their dad did at some point or another. That's awesome because so many times I've had so many athletes and authors, celebrities on, and I always ask them, like, hey, do you collect anything? And they're like, you know what, that's my one regret that I never asked anyone for an autograph or, you know, playing in an all-star game because you play in the all-star games with, like, Ricky Henderson, Cal Ripken Jr., and he's like – iconic names of baseball. I just got back from Cooperstown uh, last month, and you see these iconic names, and you played with them, and you had no problem just asking them for a jersey or a ball or something after the game? No, no. I mean, you know, just because, you know, I figured, I always thought when anybody ever asked me to sign something for them, I thought that was the ultimate honor when somebody in, in your profession asked you for something like that. You know, so I always thought it was cool. I Like, in my office right now, I got to had a long conversation with Madison Bumgarner, you know, even though that after I got it signed from, it was right after he beat the Royals in the World Series <laughs> in 2014. I got, you know, a signed picture from John Bon Jovi because I went to a concert in Kansas City back in like 87 or 88, I think it was. So I went backstage and, you know, I said, hey, John, can you sign? He goes, sure, you know, but that kind of stuff. I mean, a lot of times it's just a quick conversation you have with people that, uh, you know, this makes them feel good. It makes me feel good that they're willing to have a conversation back. The first two things you told me you had was a Pacquiao glove and a Muhammad Ali. Are you a big boxing guy? Oh, yeah. Growing up in Philly, you know, it was 
Actually, I always tell this this story to people. That was one of our PE classes was boxing, you know, you know, once a week. And I'm like, you know, geez, it was crazy back in the day. And I remember this one kid, it was really, we were really, really good friends, but he was a lefty and he was tough, tough as nails. He ended up winning one of those tough man contests down years down the road. And I didn't fare real well in that, in that boxing match. <laughs> that's for sure. So, I'll put it lightly on that one. So what were your thoughts on the Wilder Fury fight uh, from Saturday night? You know, I, I saw bits of, I, it was a great fight. I mean, I, I thought Fury might've won the fight, but mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I, I love it when, when people have, especially in boxing, you know, they have personalities. That was always something for me that, you know, it's, it's, a, it's an art, but it's also brutal at times. But you know, I love when people have personalities. For me, when you watch a boxing match, that's what I want to see. The personality come along with the, all the other stuff that goes along with boxing, from, like I said, the artistry to just the toughness to get knocked down and look like you're out and do the old Undertaker, get up and get back <laughs> out there and still fight. I love that you're so active on Twitter. And the Undertaker gif was like the most tweeted thing about after Fury got up. He was not, I thought he was murdered. And he gets up, and they kept like putting the Undertaker background music, and it. it was awesome. Did you see that? Yeah, how perfect is that? Too? I, was, <laughs> I could, I was running up there, and my son. Before I even got a chance to run up there to show my son that, it was like, bam, he had already was going to show me that too. So that's, you know, it's the one thing I don't have is any uh, signed memorabilia from anybody from WWE at all. I don't have to make that as uh, something I'll work on this year. So uh, you know, I do have a John Wooden sign, you know, hat. You know, UCLA stuff. So these kind of things, you know, people that I admired, mm-hmm. you know, like I have Michael Jordan and Dr. J and, you know, I have Magic Johnson, you know, because I went to a lot of football games over the years with Magic because when Bo was with the Raiders, I used to be on the sideline and, and he used to be standing there, we used to stand there and talk the whole game and just marvel how good Bo Jackson was in football after having such a great year in baseball. Freakish Bo Jackson. He's a freak, right? Yeah, oh, no doubt. Uh, you know, I always, you know, when people ask me a lot about Mike Trout, I always go, well, he's kind of, for me, a combination of George Brett. He's, I mean, these are guys I play with, obviously, so you know, there's other comparisons, I'm sure, about Trouty. But I always compare to George Brett and Bo Jackson combined. You know, it's the unbelievable athleticism and talent of Bo Jackson, but the baseball skills and, and, and mindset and know what he's doing in the batter's box with George Brett. You combine them together, and that, for me, was, is Mike Trout. And But Bo did some things, and, you know, even when, you know, football players – you know, they're pretty tough dudes. And then, you know, especially when he would come in, you know, six or seven games into the season, they already been through camps and they probably weren't real receptive normally to most people coming in after missing that toughest part of football season is the camps. And uh, you just walk right in there and just dominate. They just look at me and just laugh and go, is this guy for real? <laughs> I go, well, you should see him on the baseball field too, some of the things he does. I mean, there was ups and downs, like even in football for Bo, but the things he did, you always had that wow factor going for him. You have, obviously you have something signed from Bo, right? Oh yeah, yeah. Let me ask you a question. Bad, bad sign. You know so. what's funny? I'm not a memorabilia guy. I have like two seats from Yankee Stadium, but because I do the show and I get to meet so many cool people, I try to get like different. Like I would never go to the store and buy like a Jeter autograph jersey because I want it to be personal to me. I want to, if I meet him, then you sign it. So I have like random things signed. And you mentioned WWE. I just had Shane McMahon on, and I actually, really? yeah, I ordered his action figure and I make him sign it so I'll get someone to come on and sign like like Mike Tyson's coming on uh, a show I produced the Opie radio show from Opie and Anthony and Tyson's coming on so I just ordered like Mike Tyson's punch out from Nintendo just stupid stuff that no one else has anyone can have a boxing glove so I, I want to try to go a little different do you have any like different memorabilia signed oh, I'm trying to think I, I do have a tennis racket signed here by uh, John McEnroe uh, you know I mentioned a guitar I also have a guitar signed by all the members of Aerosmith, and uh, I got a, you know I got a lot of 
you know, TV and, and, and rock and roll memorabilia, too. I have a Led Zeppelin four signed album. I got a Queen signed album. I got a Rolling Stones signed album. Um, you know, I usual stuff, little mini helmets or regular size helmets. <laughs> Uh, you know, I got, you know, crazy, you know, I got Buck O'Neill, who should be a Hall of Famer, you know, in, from Kansas City, Kansas City Monarchs signed an, an old-fashioned Kansas City Monarch hat for me. I have that in there, too. So, you name it, I got it. I, you know, I try it if I run into people, you know, I'll get some pictures signed from them, you know, from whatever entertainment field. I got some hockey puck signed from, like, Eric Lindros. Oh, my and, God. You know, Phil Esposito, because I worked a little few things with him over at Fox, and Yalmir Yager, because everyone used to joke around we had the same hair back in the day, so I had to get something signed by him. One last question. Do you have it, like, displayed nicely? Like, is it all, like, done, like, in frames and put up nicely, or is it just, like, put in boxes and stuff? No, you know, I did it all myself because, uh, you know, I figured I, I didn't want anybody else to do it because I had my own uh, mindset on how I was going to put everything up and display it. Uh, you know, and I think for the most part it turned out all right. I'm pretty much a stickler to make it sure it looks everything in line and everything else and uniform. So, yeah, I did all that stuff. It was pretty good. Now, I feel like I'm going to bore you to talk some baseball, but I guess we have to talk some baseball. Is that cool? Yeah, that's fine with me. Yeah, you know, this is the time of the year where, you know, obviously it's already heating up even in New York with the Mets with Robinson Cano and Edwin Diaz going there. So I think it's going to be pretty active because you look at the Red Sox. They had an unbelievable season last year. But, I mean, going into the postseason, I actually thought the best team in baseball, although they had some guys that were hurt, were still it was the Astros. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, the Red Sox, to their credit, and Alex Cora, who's a good friend of mine, he managed fantastically. And, and, you know, David Price pitched out of his mind. And, you know, every everybody contributed there. You know, when Stephen Pierce wins MVP of the World Series, you know everything is going in your right direction. So, you know, that was great. So I, I think when you look at teams right now, everyone feels they have a shot. It's not like, you know, in the AFC in football where you, you just kind of almost pencil the Patriots into the Super Bowl every year, although the Chiefs may have a say on that this year. But I think the winter meetings here are going to be really, really active coming up in just a little over oh, about a week right now. Let me be a little selfish. You're a West Coast guy now. The Yankees got Paxton. I'm a big fan. How good is he, and how, what's he going to bring to Yankee Stadium? I'll tell you what, he's got, he pitched some really, really, really good games against the Angels. His stuff is outstanding. The only thing you always worry about is, is health. Mm-hmm. And he hasn't really put together, when you look, not that, not that many pitchers put together 200-plus innings anymore, not, not, it's not necessarily even a requirement anymore, but that's what you worry about. Uh, but he's, he's tough. He's got great stuff. I mean, he can run his fastball upper 90s, his break of stuff, and even his changeup, I thought, his cutter. I mean, he, he's, he's a legit ace if he can stay healthy, and that's always a big thing. And, you know, it's never easy to pitch in New York. I love pitching in old Yankee Stadium. By the way, I have cufflinks made of old, a chair from old Yankee Stadium. I do have that. Actually, on my thing, I was going to ask you two Yankee questions, and then I was going to ask yeah. you, but we can answer it now. Were you ever intimidated pitching in the old Yankee Stadium? No, I, I loved it. And a, a quick story about that, I, there was, you know, back in 89, I was about ready to become a, a free agent, and I know – over the years, I pitched a lot of games in, in Yankee Stadium, and I know George Steinbrenner was somewhat of a fan of mine. And, and being an East Coast guy, growing up in Philly, he was a, he would talk to Steve Balboni when you know he left us at Kansas City because he originally was a Yankee. Bones, he went back to New York, and how would he, how would I survive there? And he said he would love it because I know he was you know, he was thinking about potentially you know going after me if I made it to the free agent market. I ended up signing a extension with the Royals before the end of that season, but. I would, you know, that would have been really, really cool. Uh, I love pitching that stadium. I loved how the fans 
knew my mom's name, my, my mom's maiden name, my grandma's maiden name, everything you could imagine, my ERA and, and A-ball, my ERA and double-A. I, I loved it. I loved it because, you know what, for me, it, it got me focused and got me that little bit of an edge you need when you're, you're facing that, you know, even at that point, the Yankees weren't as successful as they, they became, you know, in, in the mid to late 90s and just kept that going for a while. They still had a dangerous lineup. They just lacked some pitching for the most part. So they had so many guys in their lineup who could hit the ball out of the ballpark that you were – you were locked into a battle every single batter, and uh, you know I, I thought it was the coolest place really to pitch in, uh, and, and that's the one thing going to the new stadium. Although I do like it, going down to that bullpen and walking in the clubhouse or in that dugout, you just felt you know the, the greats and the ghosts from the past of that stadium. Now, obviously, you don't have it now in the newer stadium there, but the old stadium for me was nothing better than that. But the mound was perfect. I, I forget his name. I always feel bad. But he's still the groundskeeper there for the Yankees. And every time I see him, because I still work all those Angel games, I go up and shake his hand and said, hey, man, you still have the best mound in, in the game because of the incline is the best in, in baseball Yankee Stadium. The old Yankees. So I know Paxton will like that there, that's for sure. Well, Paxton and probably Patrick Corbin, because everyone's saying he's coming here. You think that's a lock? Yeah, uh, I, I think he's going to be either there or Philadelphia, the way it sounds. But I think, you know, judging from he wants to, he grew up a Yankee fan close to the area. I think he wants to do that. And if the Yankees set their sight on somebody they generally will get them so i would imagine he would and the more lefty starters you can get in you know for the yankees in that stadium there the better and and what you're seeing a lot more in baseball is when you look at teams that are successful they have a number of left-handed starters in a rotation so i I would not be surprised if that happens and let's just talk some hitting quick hot stove harper machado the two names and obviously the yankees and i'm being selfish because i'm the biggest yankee fan uh they're always dangled out there every big name do you see harper or manny signing out here uh, I think I, I I would think Manny's a better uh, chance of that happening. I think than Harper. Not that Harper wouldn't be un- unbelievable. I mean that that stadium would be incredible for him. Taylor made for him. But, yeah, just a pop up the right right center field. <laughs> everything would go out there for him. So and he's so strong. He's got one of the best swings in the game. Uh, but I, I think when you look at their outfield, at, at some point, I think they would be more comfortable and content with what they have in their outfield right now. They're, obviously, they started already addressing their pitching staff, but I think that left side of the infield potential with Didi being out for a while, you know, Manny would, I think, would be a pretty good fit for him, even if they eventually move him to third, and then you could DH potentially uh, Andujar, too, on certain days, too. So I think I think Manny's got a better shot there. Although, again, the Phillies are rumored for both of those guys. I think it's an old battle between Philly and New York, like, it always should be like it was the other day, the Giants and the Eagles. It's going to be a battle, I think, for some of the premier free agents between those two franchises. I love that baseball's like a 12-month-a-year sport now. I love it. It's just always nonstop. We're talking at Hot Stove. This is one of the most exciting times because this is preparing you for the next nine months of the craziness of a baseball season. I love it. Yeah, you know what? I, I think, Michael, I think when you, when you look at it, even as a player, and I know this is another one of those crazy stories. We literally just won the World Series in 85. We go, we have our parade. The next day we go see President Reagan you know, and, and Vice President Bush. We fly back, and by the time I even got to my, my apartment, I see my name up there. I was just traded to San Francisco for Chili Davis. I'm like, what? <laughs> How did this happen? And then immediately, I, I, for some reason, it was all over the news in Kansas City there, and John Sherold, our general manager at that point, calls me up and goes, hey, I don't know where they're getting this, that. He goes, this is one bit of advice I'm always going to give you, and that'll be it. If you see your name rumored to be in a trade all over the place, that generally means you're not. 
it's when you don't hear your name that's when it happens and you know inevitably when you look at it that's when it does happen after you played with the angels because you had a legendary career you went to the booth well now you're in the booth how does that happen you wanted to stay out in cali you know, uh, my my wife's from out here. We we've been living out here since. Uh, geez, I've been out here more than half my life now in, in Los Angeles area since '86. We got married, and um, you know, I just the last year of my career was when the Angels obviously didn't work out on a you know pitching wise, but I kept in good contact with a number of the people there, and and uh, my my little one, my well, my oldest one at that point, but my little baby girl was going into school in kindergarten for her. For the first time, so that was going to be tough. I saw a lot of guys do that in their career, where their kids are in school, and if you're not playing in your home city, you don't see them for months, and that that would be tough. So I was fortunate enough, or or unfortunate, depending on how you think about it. My career ended right then. My shoulder was done, another surgery, and I was comfortable with that. I pitched a long time, a lot longer than I, way longer than I thought I would, and you know I just kind of started coaching high school baseball. Was a you know head coach out here for a while. Started doing some radio stuff, and lo and behold, the Angels heard a couple of the shows I was doing, and then they said, asked me to do the pre and post game show. Did that, and then before long, I started doing about 50 games with Jose Moda on uh, you know the telecast. And two years later, here I am. This will be my 13th season coming in there doing all the games. And you know, if they told me just just the other day that's the longest tenure for anybody ever as far as the color analyst for the Angels. So I was pretty happy and proud of that one. What's one thing that surprised you, like shocked you, like holy crap! I didn't know blank was going to be this hard when you went to the booth. Um, I, I, I don't think anything it really for me has been difficult. The question you always get: How do you feel when you have to criticize a player, especially maybe in guys you know, you play with, or even played against, or now you become friends with because you're on the same charter planes with them? My, my, my standard answer is always: I don't criticize somebody just for the purpose of criticizing i point out the play that was made or wasn't made and say why i think it didn't happen and i don't you know conjecture into why i think it did happen because nobody knows what goes in the mind or what's happening inside that clubhouse five minutes before a game so you can't say well this guy didn't make a play because he you know wasn't feeling good before the game well we don't know that so i say, well he didn't make the play because he wasn't in position or, or you know they didn't get a good read off the bat or things like that so that part, you know, you always wonder how you're going to be received because these guys are your peers, your friends, it's family. Because I play the game, they're playing the game. They've been very receptive. They know my job is to at times be critical. Mike Sosha, who will be odd, this will be the first year I don't have him as the manager here. He understood. He goes, hey, I, you know, if you, if I would hope you would, you know, second guess me on some things because that's your job. But but the cool thing is, is you know, because I just played in his golf tournament the other day, he says. The good thing is you just didn't randomly say, well, what the heck was Sosha doing not putting this guy in the game, you know, when you should have a reliever? Because I usually do my homework. I'm not wondering if the guy is not available that night. And even though most managers will tell you, you know, he's not, he's available, and then wink, wink, we're going to try to avoid him. And then, you know, but you don't say, wow, Sosha's not real smart by not putting the guy out there when, when you know he wasn't quite available. So he was, he was, he was happy about that because you can get yourself in trouble when you, when you just, throw out some random stuff, but if you do your research enough and round the people enough and and, and know the game, I, I got the MLB package, so I watch as many games as I can, even when I'm not doing the game, just so I can get a nugget on somebody that next series when they come in town that I might be able to have something out there instead of just you know, reading an article about them. How much fun is it watching Mike Trout day in, day out? 
Uh, you know, it's it's the you know even when the team isn't performing, even though they they started thirteen and three last year, the Angels ended up with eighty and eighty two. So that's an unsuccessful season. But everyone goes, well, how did you survive the season? I said, do you understand how much fun it is to watch Trout do something <laughs> that that you know? If my dad was alive today, he would probably go, God, I remember uh, Ted Williams doing that, or Willie Mays doing that, or Mickey Mantle doing that. I and mean, that's the kind of stuff where every day you hear Trout's name. You know, compared to those guys, and you know, when you when you're compared to the Immortals, it's fun. It makes the game so easy to do. And then when you mix in now, Albert Pujols, you know, putting up all his Hall of Fame things. He's got a 3,000 hit last year. The year before, picked up his 600th home run. Shohei Otani doing stuff now that it's absolutely shocking what he did this past season. Consider what he was like in spring training. And what all the uproar was saying, they should start him in Double A. When I was watching him day in and day out, and I'm saying, you know what, you're going to be wrong on this. You know, I, I didn't think he's going to trust, me, I didn't think he was going to do what he did on such a successful level. But I knew he was pretty good because you can see it in him. But uh, you know, but for all the people saying, no, oh, he shouldn't even be in A ball or Double A, you just got to look at all the other things that come into play. You know, how the baseball's coming out of his hand, how the ball, baseball's flying off his bat, all the preparation he would put in. But you know, and then the same thing with Trout. Trout tries to learn something good and make himself better every day. That's why he's always talking to Albert Pujols. You know, the year before, last winter, he goes home and says, you know, I know people are giving me grief about my defensive metrics. What does he do? He goes out and had his best season ever. He was, in the, he was a gold golf finest. When you think about it, you know, Jackie Bradley Jr. was outstanding, but when you look at the defensive metrics, he actually is better than him at that point. But, uh, you know, Jackie is, is an outstanding center fielder himself, but Trout really – put himself on that pedestal as far as one of the better defensive center fielders, too. Mike Trout, one pick away from playing center field for my New York Yankees. Yeah, I know it's funny. Every time <laughs> every time we come to New York, everyone says that because he's Jersey. Yep, yep, know, yep, but, yep. but he's a he's a Philly guy, straight and forward. Because we went to, actually, me and him, because it, somehow, some way, this past season, in September, we had a game, we had a series in Texas, and we had an off day. And then we opened up a weekend series against Chicago. But in, in the midst of that was that Thursday night home opener of the season, I should say season opener for the Eagles against the Falcons. We flew out on a private jet, and he took me and a couple other guys to the football game. We went to that one. It was He's a huge diehard Philly, Philly fan, Eagle fan, Flyer fan, and Sixer fan. So, you know, the Yankees, you know, Phillies, all those teams obviously are, are looking – and, and observing to see if indeed the, you know the, the Angels give him, you know, a lifetime or ten-year extension on his contract. We'll see if that happens. I know there's talk about that, so it remains to be seen. But whoever, wherever he plays, and I know he's extremely comfortable playing here with the Angels. That uh, you know, we got a chance to look at somebody, and all of us will be able to say, and even even young baseball fans who get a chance to interact with him, which he does an amazing job with, will say, "Well, we were hanging with the." Modern day Mickey Mantle because they actually look alike when you look at them, you know, from that certain age from Mick and then and, and Trout the way he looks right now. We'll we'll go to the best on the field to the best off the field. Only a few people like I don't really get starstruck, and there's no people I'm like, oh my god, I need to meet that guy. You tweeted because I'm I'm all about your Twitter a picture of you and Vince Scully. How like I that blew my mind because he's just the greatest that's ever done it. Was that wild meeting Vince Scully? Yeah, you know, because it was funny because uh, I have a bunch of other cool pictures that I, I didn't put out. At some point, I will again. We were right next to each other in our booth, especially when we do the games in Anaheim. And literally, just a pane of glass separates us two. And we're always 
joke around, making faces at each other, and, and we do all, you know, just have a blast together. Because I, I, I asked him flat out one day, because I, I interviewed him, that picture that's in that Twitter thing, you know, because it was his birthday the other day. We, I just randomly asked him, said, hey, Vin, is there any chance you can join me on the, and I'd love to do an interview with you on, the, on our pregame show for the Angels broadcast. And he said, sure. And I was like, wow. Everyone's like, no way, you're getting them? I said, yeah. So we're just talking. I, and I know he did the 89 All-Star game in, in Anaheim, and that's the game I pitched. That's the game Bo Jackson you know, hit the home run. And, and I asked him, I said, were you ever nervous ever doing a baseball game? I, I'm sure he was maybe nervous the first game or so. He said, the only time I was a little bit apprehensive was in that All-Star game because he was in the booth with President Reagan. And at that point, President Reagan had just finished – his second term, and, and his health was beginning to decline. So he didn't know how he was going to be on, in the broadcast. And, he, and, he, and the biggest smile on Vin's face was like, and he was as awesome as he was as a president. And I was like, wow, that was crazy. Because you know, I remember they were both t- kind of talking when Bo hit that home run to dead center field. And, and, and Vin was just, I mean, the storytelling ability. But he, and, I, and I'm totally honest, outside of my dad, the absolute nicest, kindest person I've ever met in my life, and, and I don't, I don't like to throw that out there too often because I, I think my dad is my hero, and, and I, I miss him dearly. But but Vin makes everybody, if you ever met him at all, everybody who ever meets him realize that they're like, geez, this guy really—it's amazing when you consider, especially in his last few years. I mean, he's he's up there in age, being pulled all apart, you know, because people want to do this, want to interview here, want to sign something because they don't know when he's coming back or if that's going to be last game, last season so cordial to everybody and and if anybody that's got a chance to be around him if we can only be half or a quarter or even a tenth of a person he is then this whole world would be a lot better off that's for sure what do you have signed from vince scully please tell me a microphone <laughs> i wish i did I've, i have a, uh, a photograph and, and he signed it for me and a baseball too you know you, don't... I, you know i never yeah. thought of that one i should have did that you know... I, I i'll i'll run into i'll run into him probably and sometime in January, so maybe maybe that'll be my next venture. Like I said, you know, all they could say is no. I mean, I you know, I even got a Jim Brown signed old Cleveland <laughs> Brown helmet in my office here. So I figured, you know, if I can get Jim Brown to sign something for me, I'm pretty comfortable asking anybody else to sign something for me. Because that's a tough dude right there in Jim Brown. Do you know the things Vince Scully called, like Hank Aaron's home run, Gibson's home run? Yeah, he's called the the Mets game, the Buckner game. Lawson's perfect, uh, perfect game. He's done every huge thing with Vince Scully. Yeah, yeah. I mean, when you think about, well, correct me if I'm wrong. Was he not the catch with uh, with Dwight uh, Clark? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. He's. So, just... I mean, his voice perfect. His preparation beyond belief. Because I always would look at him. I go because you know, especially at Dodger Stadium, the the restroom is pretty good distance away from his booth. And you know, I'm always looking in. I'm like, how is he doing? He doesn't even. You know, he's by himself, too. That's the thing. The whole game by himself, you know, with the Dodgers. Obviously, national games, he's had someone else in there, but and the other things he has done. But the whole time by himself, I, I, it's amazing how you can stay focused, not at the run of the restroom, uh, always have a story, comfortable telling a story, and still let it flow with, you know, a Kirk Gibson home run and while you're in the midst of a story. It's amazing how he's been able to do that and how great his voice is to this day whenever he does stuff around here in Los Angeles. How you know, like I said, how perfect of a human being he really is. And I think part of the reason why you know he receives so well because he treats everybody so well, and that's that's part of the persona that Vin makes everyone love him so much. I'm going to give you one. Obviously, I'm not comparing my memorability to yours, but 
I was I got married uh, like 11 years ago. We only lasted nine months, but here's the best thing that came out of that uh, marriage. Um, we, we went on a tour of Yankee Stadium, Mark, and I'm like, hey, we should have like a Yankee-themed wedding. And she's like, zero chance. I'm like, hey, how about if I get Bob Shepard to announce that wedding? And I, I can, I'll email to you privately. I, she said, yeah, if you get Bob Shepard to announce our wedding, I emailed. I found out that his son was a lawyer in Baltimore. I wrote around 30 letters, and Bob Shepard, like the voice of God, introduced my wedding thing. And he, sadly, he passed away, like, I guess a year later. But that's like my most classic thing. I can never play it now with my new girlfriend. But in my, like, trash, uh, treasure chest of all memorabilia is Bob Shepard announcing my wedding. Is that That's pretty cool. You appreciate that as a memorabilia Oh, guy. yeah, because, you know, <laughs> I, I had many a conversations with him over the years, too. And, again, another person where he, every time you met him, you made you feel like you were his best friend. And that's that's something, you know, that it's not easy to, you know, keep throughout your whole lifetime because so many people are just trying to, you know, take away your, your space, your time, but he always made you feel like you were a friend. And I, 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 as soon as he talked, I was like, I'm done. I'm just going to sit here and whatever, you know, I'm just going to wait till this conversation, whatever he says is over with. Even if he said, hey, can you move out of the way? I would be, okay, all right, now I'll go. Did you, you know, ever? It's like, I know you would love this too because uh, a couple years ago when Jeter was basically making his farewell tour with the Yankees, another thing, I, you know, one of the guys on our pregame show said, uh, Hey, what do you think? You think you can get Derek? Because I've known him from, you know, me and David Cohn were roommates, and, and I got to know Derek quite a bit through Coney. And so I said, you know, hey, any chance you get him? And so they, because they check with the PR department with the Yankees, he's so hard to do. So I went up to him myself and said, hey, Derek, any chance? He goes, oh, sure. So literally, I'm sitting there interviewing him in, our, in, in their dugout at, at Angel Stadium, the Yankee side. And all the you know Yankee beat writers and a couple of their other personalities around listening in and and you know usually with Derek he's very guarded everything was like you know 100 percent play 100 percent this and that so I just had a lot of fun with him and I, you know the last question that I asked him I said okay because I'm a huge you know Christmas guy so and I, and I love it's a wonderful life so I went into my whole George Bailey thing with him <laughs> I said hey if you you know, if you, you know, uh, remember in George saying, I don't know what the world would be like if I wasn't born. So I said, what would it have been like if you did not put on that Yankee uniform? And boom, he gave it, you know, he gave a long answer saying how he really couldn't see himself in any other uniform ever but a New York Yankee uniform. And it was amazing. You could see it wasn't like some random answer. It was sincere and everyone, you know, because right after the interview, our people in our truck go, wow, how did you think of that? I, said, I don't know how it even popped into my mind. But I was thinking, you know, this, this guy deserves everything because there may have been better players, maybe. You know, his numbers are outstanding, but his winning attitude and the way the teammates just gravitated towards him and how he absorbed all the big moments to let everyone else succeed and not be overwhelmed by it because he was willing to either succeed or fail. And that's the thing I loved about Jeter and I still love about Derek when I run into him, that uh, that was one of the cool things. So I got, you know, I have a signed jersey by Jeter and and I you know obviously a couple pictures the guys took from that interview and stuff and I could it's still pretty cool because he has a genuine smile on his face as I'm interviewing him and that's pretty cool because that's when you know you're he was comfortable doing it I want to talk about your career for a little bit is that cool yeah when that'll last about two seconds no, no. <laughs> <laughs> when did you know like it was different for you when did you know like you were on a different level and like baseball was going to be your career, your profession, your way of life? Was there like a significant moment that you knew like I'm, 
on a different level from everybody else? Uh, yeah, that's, that's a great question. Uh, you know, growing up, obviously, in, in the East Coast, Northeast, where the weather is not great for baseball, where you play, what, three, four months a year, that getting seen, first and foremost, by scouts and, 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 take, and having you being taken serious, where they can look at somebody from California, Florida, Texas, somewhere down, you know, Georgia, Mississippi, where they get to play a lot more, and, and they really can hone their craft a lot better than, than somebody in, in a cold climate. That uh, I think what it came down to, and I, you know, I've told this before, kind of, and the more I reflect on it, is I get further and further away from my career on the playing side. Is um, was after my uh, junior year in high school, we're playing in an America Legion All Star tournament. We were playing the East versus the Western Pennsylvania All-Stars, and on my team was you know Jamie Moyer, who ended up being a really good pitcher in the big leagues, mm-hmm. uh, David Amaro, who's Ruben Amaro Jr., and Ruben Amaro's son, who ended up going to Duke, who was a fantastic baseball player, and he could hit much better even than Ruben Amaro Jr. at that point. Uh, Steve Bono, who ended up being a heck of a quarterback in the NFL, was also on our team. But all the scouts were – and, and – Robbie Wine was on the team too. Bobby Wine's son was there too. So we had a number of players on our on our east par, east par, eastern part of Pennsylvania playing against the West. That all the scouts were there looking for them, and I just happened to be there, type of thing. And lo and behold, I had some pretty good games, and I began, then now I'm on the radar. And so my first game in high school, my senior year, all of a sudden I got like a million scouts. And you know how it is especially in the East Coast, you have the baseball field and you have like one or two stands or things in the stands for maybe parents to sit in. Otherwise, you bring your own chairs. And you see all these scouts with their radar guns out. And it was from the get-go, every game. And all of a sudden, I'm thinking, wow, this may happen. And, you know, I was, you know the conversation is who's, you know, who's looking at you. And at that point, it's not like today in the draft where you have a pretty good idea where you may go. I heard the Braves. I heard the Yankees. I was praying for the Phillies. I knew they were interested. You know, the Cubs were involved. All these teams were involved because all the scouts were there. And that on draft day in that June, I'm, I'm playing stickball at the schoolyard where they had like 17 buddies. We played stickball every day, hanging out. Whether the weather was freezing hot, snow, rain, we were hanging in the schoolyard every day playing some sport. And my dad's coming driving down with his old rickety old car. I can hear his – there's a noise, a special noise it made every single time driving around somewhere in the engine, which he probably never checked forever, that I knew he was coming down. And he, and he, he goes, hey, you just got drafted. I'm like, I'm thinking, who? By, by Kansas City. I'm like, Kansas City? That shocked me because just the year before, they're playing the Phillies in the 80 World Series, and I'm screaming, saying, I hate George Brad and Willie Wilson, <laughs> Frank White. And all of a sudden, six months later, here I am. Hey, Frank, George, and Willie, I love you guys. Big I'm fan, guys, guys, big fan. <laughs> yeah, and then and two, two years later, I'm rooming with George Brett. So here I am going from like, hey, Mike Schmidt's way better than you to, <laughs> hey, George, you're the best player I've ever seen, all within like three years. What was your welcome to the big leagues moment? Was there a moment? Uh, uh, I, you know, I, I even said this when they put me in the Royals Hall of Fame. We're driving up from the airport. This was before the season started. And we're on I-70 coming towards the back of the stadium. And, and I still get goosebumps when I even say it or even think of this. There was a little bit of mist and clouds in the air. And, the, and I don't know if you've ever been to the Royal Stadium, especially mm-hmm. the back where the crown is lit up. You see this huge crown and KC on there and driving up like this. And I'm like, oh, my word. It's t- and it's, it's, I 
immediately call my dad. You know, that's pre-cell phone. As soon as I went to George's house, called my dad. I said, Dad, this is incredible. It feels like I'm, I'm in a dream. He said, Son, don't ever wake up. And that, you know, that's what I always felt like. It was a dream, and it's still, I'm still dreaming. You know, you know, amazing it was to, you know, to be a major leaguer and, and to live and, and do the things I was able to do, which was uh, pretty shocking for me, you know, to be able to make it to the big leagues at all, let alone play as long as I did. We mentioned Jeter, and Jeter said his one regret playing, especially in New York, was that he didn't enjoy the ride. Like, a lot of times, he was just so much pressure. There's always that famous story when uh, the Yankees lost in 2001, the World Series. The next day, Steinbrenner called up Torrey and go, hey, don't worry, next year we'll do better. And, like, they, they just won three in a row. They were one out away from winning, from four-peating. So, you know, Jeter always said he wished he enjoyed the ride. And hearing that story, you enjoyed the ride every up and down of it, right? Yeah, yeah, you know, I, I did just because I absolutely never expected as much as I felt I had talent. I never felt that I was ever going to make it to the big leagues. And I, in even you know '83, I'm in Double A in Jacksonville, and a couple of guys got moved up to Triple A, and I'm like really mad. And Gene Lamont, who ended up being a major league manager, was my manager there, and he comes up and he goes, "Are you mad about those guys getting moved up?" I'm like, "Yeah, I, I got better numbers," and he goes. This trust me, it doesn't matter. And that's all he said to me. I'm like, whatever, whatever, dude. What do you mean it doesn't matter? <laughs> so then, lo and behold, the next year I, I skipped Triple A to make the big leagues. It was crazy, and um, you know, to and to have a, a, a spring like I did. Even the funny thing is, managers didn't pull you in the office when you made the team. It's like when they didn't call you in. That's when you did something right. So I'm wait, me and Saberhagen are waiting around and like, what do we do here? Uh, so we just snuck our suitcases under a big pile of other suitcases and ran and hid in the back of the bus. Thinking, okay, they didn't say our name yet. Maybe they won't remember. We're on here. So we're on the bus, and then we, we do the same type of thing, sneak on the plane. And, you know, we're, we're in Memphis playing an exhibition game before we went home for the home opener against uh, Cleveland Indians. And, you know, we're looking around, looking around, and, and Dick Houser comes up to me and saves and goes, are you guys for real? Do you not realize you're on the team? At that moment, like, I was out of my mind. I was like, oh, my God, I can't believe I made this team. That's when we drove up and saw the crown and everything else like that, you know, for my 70 and stuff. It was pretty funny, though, because his look at his face is probably going, right, I, I can't keep the charade going. I said, hello, you guys are on the team. Where's your 85 World Series ring right now? Uh, you know what? I just, believe it or not, it's worth it. I wear it on occasion. Uh, I just have it up upstairs with me, up in um, my bedroom, that I'll wear it on, on special occasions. You know, obviously you don't, I can't wear it as much anymore doing Angel <laughs> games. Cause I, it wouldn't look as good wearing a Royals World Series ring on, on an Angel broadcast, but I, I'll wear it on occasion. Um, you know, special times. Uh, you know, I'm coming to New York actually in a few days to spend the holidays out there for a couple of days. I, I love doing that in New York for this time of the year, so I'll do that pretty soon. The blue Royals uniforms, the powder blue pants and jerseys, it's still top five uniforms to this day. Do you agree? Did you love the yeah. blue pants? I love that look. That, you know, I, I'm going to tell you something. Like I said, obsessive Yankee fan. That's the big reason I got divorced is my obsession with sports. And it's embarrassing. I know, Mark. But I, I'm so jealous when I see, like, I love the pinstripes. It looks great. Every country I go to, I see the interlock in NY. But I get jealous when I see some of those badass uniforms. Like, I can't rock a blue Royals jersey. I'm a Yankees fan. But those that blue on blue, top five uniforms ever. Yeah, I mean, it, it, I, I do love it when we, we got the chance to wear it. And then they would switch over the gray and stuff. And then they brought nice. They bring them back now, the blue ones, although they do with white pants. They don't do the whole blue, you know, 
powder blue uniform going. But I'll tell you, and another quick one, which, that year when I was, we made the big leagues and George Brett brought us all together, this is without the coaches and, and Dick, Dick Hauser there. He comes in and says, you know, I mean, there was a few you know, explicit words in there amongst the other words, but he says, I don't care if we lose every game during the season as long as we beat those blank, 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 New York Yankees every game. Because the Royals and the Yankees had some epic battles for of course. years. And, and for even to this day, you know, when the Yankees come into town to Kansas City, you know, I hear from all my, you know, friends back there that they're still, it's like, that's it. That's the biggest game in town, period, when they come in there for a weekend, no matter what. It's a sellout. It's, it's, it, they want to win that game. I mean, you know, and that, that's, a, that's the beauty of it because, you know, growing up in Philly, you always, there was always a battle between New York and Philly anyhow. And then so they, George saying that, I'm like, all right, I'm ready. That's part of the reason why I always love pitching in Yankee Stadium, too. I'm going to ask you a few other random questions. Can I keep you for a few minutes on the phone? Sure. I'm going to ask you a couple of trivia questions. In 1984, I just looked this up, you were seventh in the Rookie of the Year voting. Who won the Rookie of the Year when you were a rookie? Oh, wow. Alvin Davis? Damn it. Good answer. Okay, you got it. And was it? Yeah, it was. That was a good job. Oh, wow. In 1988, you dominated 88 and 89. 88, you were third in the Cy Young voting. Who won the Cy Young that year? Frank Bowl and Dennis Secrecy was second. Wow. Okay. Right now, you and I are at a bar in New York City. That you want to impress people in the bar. Who's the coolest person in your phone that if you took out your phone and you texted them, they would text you back within five, well, within an hour? Oh, uh, Pete Rose. Oh, I have Pete Rose. That's mine, but he never texts back, but he's in my yeah, phone he, too. He, you know, it's funny. He texts me all game long because being in Vegas, our games are on oh. <laughs> in Vegas all day. Uh, I, I know, I don't know if you're a country guy, but Cole Swindell on, on my phone too is pretty cool. No, nah, the Pete Rose thing blew me away. I don't listen to music really, Mark, so. Yeah. Any significance to the number 23 you wore? Um, you know what? The, 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 my first year in Big League camp, I got number 58. I remember Willie Wilson and all those guys just laughing, saying, hey, if you have any number over in the, above 50, you have no chance of making the Big League. So <laughs> I, that was two weeks. So the next year I got the Big League camp, I had number 23. And I'm like, wow, I have a shot. And I was on a different row in, in the locker room. So and then, lo and behold, I made it. But you know, it's always cool because that's my dad's birthday, July 23rd. Oh, that's really cool. And they just gave it to you then? Yeah, I was I was surprised. And I always wore number 14 forever at every level, whether I was playing basketball or, or baseball. Not football, obviously, because I was a tight end and a defensive end. So I had 84. I still got the four in there, but I was born in August 14th. So I had 14 forever. And uh, But when they gave me 23, I thought, okay, since I can't have my birthday, I'll get my dad's birthday. And I know they didn't do that on that on purpose, but it's, to me, I always tell the story that that's the reason why they gave it to me, but it really wasn't. I was just lucky to get it. Hall of Fame voting coming. Mariano Rivera, unanimous decision or no? He should. Willie? Um, I think right now because of the outcry of people not voting just for the purpose of thinking nobody deserves to be unanimous, that maybe he has a shot. And for me... He should be unanimous. There should be a, a number of them, the unanimous you know, vote. But I, I, have no, I have no idea why some writers decide that somebody's not worthy of the Hall of Fame the first year, but the second year they are. It doesn't make any sense to me. I always thought, for me growing up, that Griffey was going to be the first one. Like, how can someone – you're a Hall of Fame voter. How do you not have Ken Griffey Jr.? Like, that, that one boggled my mind, the Griffey Jr. one. Yeah, yeah, I mean – 
I mean, I, I remember even going back to George Brett. He was at one point one of the highest percentages of of, of getting in on the first ballot ever. And he told me because this because people in you know in that, in that world liked him because he was very courteous to writers. Mm-hmm. Some of them who vote, if you're not real nice to them, they might not vote for you that first time through. Unfortunately, but uh, I think you know Rivera and. I had a lot of conversations with him. He's one of the nicest people I've ever met, too. And you talk about a fierce competitor, but when you get away from the field, man, he's a nice person. I'll tell you, so now I'm not allowed to say what I do for my real job on the podcast, but I'll tell you this. So I used to work at Yankee Stadium, like, um, on the side. We'll put it that way. And we used to be stationed, like, throughout the stadium. And a couple times, because, you know, they would ask, like, who the fans are. I'm like, dude, I'm the biggest fan. So a couple times I was posted outside the Yankee bullpen. And, you know, most of the players, and they shouldn't come over and talk to us and stuff. They're in the middle of a game. Rivera, no matter what, if he saw what I do for work, he'd always walk over and just a little pat, hey, good job, thank you. Like, he is, and everyone from every person at the stadium, because, you know, then, like, we'll talk to the hot dog vendor. They said that Rivera was the sweetest, most kindest person they've ever met. Yeah. You, I mean, you could just tell he was raised well, and, and his, his family is exactly the way he is, too. And, and that's why, you know, that's why there's a shot, finally, that you know, for for someone to get in unanimously. Because not only his numbers prove it. I mean, he's historic numbers, especially in the biggest stage where you make a mistake in the job he was doing, uh, it's over. You're 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 done. And yet he never wavered, even when a little flare base hit falls in for Arizona against him. It's still. You know, there's no one been ever been better in the in the biggest dance ever, and that's him every single time in the in the postseason. My favorite Rivera story is the Yankees are playing the Red Sox. You know, it's like a July or August game, early day uh, day game. I'm watching with my dad, and uh, it's the ninth inning, first and second. A ground ball to Soriano. He 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 bobbles it, and bases loaded. I'm like, Yankees are up by two. I'm like, Are you effing kidding me? We're gonna lose this game. You know how it is to lose to the Red Sox. Yeah. It breaks my heart, and I'm I'm screaming at Soriano from my couch. And Rivera looked at him without saying a word, just like, did the old, relax. Like, he just gave a little head nod, like, moved his right hand up and down, like, calm down. Next play, ground ball to G to double play. Next pitch, fly out, they win the game. And I'm like, he's just so calm, cool, and collected. Like, I've never felt so confident when he walked on the mound. It was the best feeling I've ever had in my life is when Rivera came out there. You felt so safe. Yeah, and he did it with one pitch, (laughs) one type of pitch. That's incredible. And you even know it. You knew you know, it was coming. You couldn't do anything about it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, people, you know, they talk about tipping pitches or stealing signs. He can actually, you know, you knew exactly what he was throwing, and you still had no chance. That's, hey. that's the beauty of him. And, and he didn't you – know, he eventually mixed in maybe a little bit of a change-up or, or slider, but it was still some, some form of a, of a, you know, of a cutter that was ridiculous every single time he threw it. College basketball is my thing. It's Yankee baseball and basketball. We're going to have a little bit of beef, and I thought you and I would be becoming best friends. Don't ever hashtag Rock Chalk Jayhawk. I know your daughter goes there. I'm a Kentucky guy. You can't be putting Kansas Jayhawk stuff on your Twitter. Is that a deal? No more Kansas stuff. <laughs> oh, I don't know about that, but you know what the thing is? I'll really, make you, I'll really get you upset now. Is I signed my letter of intent to go to Duke University. Oh, I'm a come huge on. Fan. Oh, wait, are you still a, You can't be a Duke basketball fan now because your daughter, but you were? Oh, I still am. Oh, I still am. that's hard. Talk- my, my, here's a couple of things I lucked into my first college, I mean, my college visits in 81. I met Coach Bear Bryant when I went to Alabama. Oh, my God. Which I was completely out of my mind when I got a chance to meet him. And 
he asked me to play football and tight end for them. I, I said, <laughs> no, no chance, sir. I said, they'll, they'll eat me for lunch and throw me away in a minute. <laughs> and then I met Coach K when I went to Duke University because they have a big pipeline of Philly basketball players over the years have been really successful going down to Duke. And I mentioned David Amaro, who was my teammate in that American Legion team. He went and played Duke baseball himself. And I've actually – Two of the kids that I, I coached at high school baseball out here in California, they end up going and committed and play baseball at Duke University too. So, absolutely the most unbelievable campus, Duke. So uh, I still root for them. And you know who else roots for them? Who? Mike Trout is a huge uh, Duke uh, oh, Devil God. fan. Oh God, we 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 did so well. This interview, <laughs> I knew you were going to be a good interview. I've heard you before and stuff, but now you, we ended it on like a bad note, and now it's oh God. <laughs> hey, listen, I'm I'm going to be honest with you. I'm gonna order a starting lineup figure and then i'm going to send it to you and you sign it up for me is that cool yeah oh yeah for sure listen this to have you on you blew my mind like i always have a bullet point of like a bunch of questions i want to ask and right away you started man you killed it and i can't thank you enough for coming on man oh michael appreciate it man anytime i had a blast i'll tell you it was pretty cool thank you my friend and do me i don't get the i don't really you know to be honest i don't really tell people this stuff all that much and you know i think it's cool for me i just like it i mean i love the memorabilia side, and I love the, the stories. You don't really get a chance to, you know, really talk about it a whole lot. It's always about my the game, you know, I'm either calling right now or, or one of the games I pitch. I like the other stuff. I don't, I, I'm not a big fan of talking about myself, so I prefer the other stuff, which is cool. I really appreciate that, and you know what I do? So, like I said, I, I get very lucky having all these awesome guests on, and you can have, like I just had on uh, the dude from the Spin Doctors, Chris Barron, and we did like an, wow. a, an hour and a half, and at the end he's like, Hey, thank you for not bringing up like two princes and the spin doctors. I'm like, dude, I actually forgot because like we just hang out and talk. Usually we sit in the bar or we go to the radio studio. So I like talking about stuff because you're passionate about it. If I kept asking you the same questions, it's like the generic answer. So I'm truly curious that you have this sick memorabilia collection. I want to hear all about it. I'm going to be like, okay, next time you're around Vince Scully, get the microphone, get him to sign it, get yeah. him to sign it. <laughs> You know, I do have an old Comiskey Park chair in here, too, with the number 23 on. I got that at the old uh, Chicago White Sox Stadium, old Comiskey Park, too, and I got that signed by a couple guys. You know, because I got to know Carlton Fist, too, from a couple Nike trips in there, too. So it's just random stuff that, uh, you know, I end up getting in here. I even got a, uh, you know, crazy, you know, I got Henry Winkler signed thing here. I got some, you know, just random stuff that I have signed in my uh, – office so Don Knotts who was uh, he came to our stadium before he was in our locker room and I got a chance to talk to him and I used to love you know the Andy Griffith show so and you know I said hey what the heck you know and, he, and it was cool and the way he talked I was out of my mind it was he, he was he was a beautiful human being listen I definitely want to keep in touch and any random memorabilia I'll show you stuff and you show me some of yours Is that cool that sounds cool okay bro I can't thank you enough this this was a blast no, I had a blast too, man. I feel like I'm gonna be laughing and telling my my kid all about this stuff after uh, after we get off the phone. <laughs> Thank you, man. You got it, Michael. Anytime, man. Thanks, brother.